this is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. We are in this series, uh, just a quick two-part series called The Great Banquet, and we're in Luke 14. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 14. We're going to pick up where we left off last week uh, and, and talk about this invitation that we've all been given. We're talking about the humility, the gratitude, the hospitality that comes with this. And uh, let me just, I'm just curious on this Sunday after Thanksgiving, how many of you uh, are visiting from out of town? Let me just see all of our out of town guests. Well, wow, we welcome you on behalf of the chamber. Thank you uh, for being here and supporting our community. And I just want to say thank you to all of those in our hospitality community. business around Branson. I was talking to entertainers this week who's like, y'all are finally getting ramped up for Christmas. We've been doing this for two months. And uh, they started thinking about it in December. So when that show first hits at the beginning of November, this is what our Branson entertainers look like at the beginning of November. And in a couple of weeks, they're going to look a little bit more like this. Uh, And I got that from entertainers, so I can pick on them. So we're looking at This great text in Luke 14, and today we're going to get to the parable of the great banquet. Last week, we looked at Jesus on his way into the home of a Pharisee to have dinner, and he has to confront religious attitudes outside. He gets into the dinner, and he confronts prideful attitudes. Uh, They were vying for that uh, position of honor next to the host, and Jesus has teaching for them. Today, what we're going to see is in the invitation that Many in this room and across campus and online have received this invitation to eternal life, this invitation to become part of the family of God, to become part of the kingdom of God is something we take with great humility. And when we understand it, it fills our hearts with gratitude and it, and it creates in us this desire to offer the hospitality that Jesus talks about in this text. And I woke up this morning, I hadn't thought about this song all week, but if you don't know me, I've got an entire Baptist hymnal in my head and in my heart from childhood. And I woke up and the Lord gave me this song. I was like, man, I haven't sung. And I sung it word for word. So I'm not going to, I'm going to lightly sing it. And there may be some Baptist in here that like take it over and we're okay with that. We just kind of let this stuff go where it goes uh, in it. But it's, it's this song, this hymn, Come and Dine. Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. I get worried about that note. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. And the Baptist is like, take another offering because you gave us a hymn and we're, we're ready to go. My, my thoughts when I hear this song, I'm, I'm just reminded of the invitation that I received as a child. And, and many of you received this invitation. But today we're talking about the invitation and the invitation that we've been given to go out and invite people. And we, we're going to pick up where we picked off uh, or step, stepped off, picked off, whatever you want to call it, last week in Luke fourteen eleven, Because this was the main lesson as Jesus looked at what was happening at this dinner. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And we know that from the mindset that we're to have, the mindset that was in Christ Jesus, and what is that mindset? We read in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus emptied himself, he took on the nature of a servant, and he humbled himself. And that's what you and I are called to do. And we read this in 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. And that's not what was happening in the home that we looked at last week. The Pharisees were moving to the fastest position as they could get there as quickly as possible to the, the place of honor. And Jesus said, you're going to be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so we looked at it last week and it continues this week. We're talking about increasing humility, increasing hospitality, and increasing gratitude. And increasing humility is a sure sign your faith is growing. If you ever wonder, am I growing closer to the Lord? How am I doing in my walk with Jesus? We would call this descending into greatness. Your walk with the Lord should not be puffing you up should not be getting you to a place of entitlement where you think, I deserve where I am right now. I deserve the seat at the table that I have. No. And Paul had this attitude of descending into greatness. When you read throughout his ministry, you know, these passages a couple of years apart each, you see that he had a more sane estimate of who he was when he understood who God is and who he was. And look at what we read in 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles. That's where he starts. If he walked into the room with apostles, he would say, "I'm I'm the one that needs to back up from this group because I'm the least of this. But then give it a little bit more time in his ministry and walk with the Lord. In Ephesians 3, 8, we read, I'm the least of all the saints. So now put a multitude of saints together. I'm the least of them. You see, this is descending into greatness. At the end of his ministry, we read this. As he wrote to Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. You see this progression of descending into greatness, least of the apostles, least of the saints, chief of sinners. Pastor Eric Geiger from Mariner's Church in California, he says this, The closer we get to God, the more we understand his holiness, thus realizing more and more how sinful we really are. This makes us all the more grateful for his grace. Because of his grace, an increasing view of his holiness and our sinfulness causes us to rejoice in Christ who takes all our sin and generously gives us all his righteousness. And this is why we don't teach work salvation. Works, obedience, it's the overflow of our salvation, not the source of it. Obedience is the overflow, not a requirement for salvation. And so Jesus goes in and keeps going, verses 12 through 14. He says to the host at this dinner party, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors to rub shoulders with. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. Instead, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. Hold on to that because that's gonna be a callback. In the parable of the great banquet. And you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And Jesus is giving instruction on how to treat those who are outside the home that he just walked into. He's saying, This is actually how the kingdom of God works. This is how the family of God works. Go out and get them and invite them in. And I was encouraged this week as we headed into Thanksgiving. I heard three stories, and I'm, there's probably a lot more than this of people in our church who had room at their Thanksgiving table and they just heard stories or one was in a restaurant, they heard a story, another uh, was in passing. But I heard from one church member who invited someone who was going to eat alone in a hotel room 
And they said, no, come and eat with us. Another said this to a student who was here, needed to stay on campus and work, wasn't had, didn't have any plans for Thanksgiving. Like, no, you come, you eat with us. Another was a widow in our church um, who was planning on seeing family at Christmas, just decided that Thanksgiving, I'm not going to travel. And, and she was invited to another home. And I thought, we don't need a program or a budget for what I'm about to introduce, but wouldn't it be cool next year in November if we had a campaign that was simply, no one eats alone? That this church will always be known for increasing hospitality. And increasing hospitality is a sure sign your heart for the marginalized is growing. In other words, our tables and our church should always reflect God's table. It should always reflect the people he is inviting to take a seat. May that always be true of us. The marginalized. We can, we can hang with the people we feel comfortable with. And in that list, he gave it, right? Your rich neighbors right? Family members. But let us never lose sight of who God has a heart for. In Acts 2, you know I share this text a lot in verses 42 through 47. It's the first century church. I want you to see how verses 45 and 46 connect this idea. Talking about the the first century believers, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And again, that's your generosity. Every time we take an offering, we're thinking about the physical needs of people in our church and in our community. And you go way beyond that with Convoy of Hope and with our missionaries to meet needs outside of our country, right? They sold possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And now keep in mind, we're talking about people who had means providing for people who did not have means. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. May that always be true of your home and your table and this church. You know, I look at the hospitality budget in our church. We might as well just call it coffee budget. Uh, And it's a big dollar amount. And there are times you look at it and you're like, whoa, I hope we never think about cutting that. I hope we never think about, let's do less for hospitality. I hope our church thinks about increasing hospitality so that when you invite family and friends to the 815 or 1145, (laughs) you're like, there's a place here for you. And I hope when you're walking on this campus, look around. I hope you see there's a lot of people that look like you and dress like you, and there's a lot of people who don't. Let's praise our Father in heaven for that. And let's even be more urgent in our going out and inviting them in. I, uh, I fly with American Airlines a lot, and there's this status with American Airlines that they always call. If you're there at a gate in Springfield, they always start, we'd like to invite our concierge key. And I'm always like, oh, la-di-da. <laughs> and, and no one ever comes forward at the Springfield airport. I've been in the Dallas airport, the Chicago airport, where sometimes they come in. But no one ever comes forward. And so I research, what are the perks of concierge key? And it's awesome. It's awesome. And then I started thinking, man, what can I do to become concierge key? And you know what the answer is? Nothing. It's never going to happen for me. And here's why. I've researched it. I should have been studying the Bible more, but I got on American Airlines because it's starting to hack me off because I want the place of honor at American Airlines. And here's concierge key is an invitation-only tier, not open to the general public, not you people that bring your chickens and livestock on the plane. You unwashed masses. You're not getting it. We're not getting it. It says, this is not open to the general public. Concierge key is primarily meant for those who have primary decision-making ability for large corporate travel accounts or 
They're influencers who American feels can sway travel toward the brand. Ah, doggone it. Because these people get treated so well. And you know, every time I'm there, and you've seen the signs that say, uh, priority boarding, like super special important people over here, and then this doesn't even have a logo. It says general boarding. General boarding. And every time I walk by that, I think to myself, that is how so many people view the church. It's how so many people view the kingdom of God and the family of God. They're super elite, special, superhero Christians who get special access. And then there's those with general. I, I hope you're learning from the text we're in in Luke 14. We all have the same access. There is no super elite, special, concierge key Christian access. There's no, you've done more, you influence more, you get better at, nope, that, that, we all get the same access. And how do we get this access? Come and dine the master called. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. Our access is through Jesus, period, period. There's no special, so I'm not getting concierge key. I'm going to let that go right now. So Jesus takes this, and if you go to verse 15 of Luke 14, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, And this one statement is going to launch into the parable of the great banquet. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And most scholars believe this statement right here is making a major assumption. And the assumption is all of us gathered around this table will be there. And you're going to see in this parable, Jesus is saying, hold on, not so fast. There are people around this table right now who think they'll be there and they won't. And they won't. Because the way you've been acting around this table is how many of you view the kingdom, and that's not how the kingdom works. And so he goes into, and we we looked at this, we introduced it last week. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And in that day, you would do an invitation. You would send it out early, day of the banquet. You would send out a servant to announce, hey, it is time now. The supper is ready At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. And we looked at it last week. This is not a potluck. This is not a restaurant. Okay? You can't buy your way into this. You can't bring anything. That's not how this works. Jesus has done everything for you, and he simply gives you the invitation and asks you to accept it. And when you think about that, we, we talked, this was the whole message last week. There's nothing you can bring. Just receive the invitation. Who do you think's the biggest Chiefs fan in this room? Let me just see. Biggest Chiefs fan in this room. Josh Gabriel, I knew his hand would go up past the third drummer. Yeah, that's me. So I'm going to throw this out at Josh. Josh, the next uh, Chiefs game is December 10th against the Bills at Arrowhead. That's the next home game. And he's like, I know, Ted, move on. Uh, you get a call on the 9th, and someone says, Josh, I just bought a suite at, at Arrowhead, and I want you and whoever you want to invite to come with you. And, but before you even get to these seats, let me just tell you, you get a VIP parking. Look at people are going, oh, wouldn't this be cool if he's like going to surprise him with it? <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay, <laughs> settle down. I'm not Taylor Swift. I had to throw that one line in right there. But you get VIP parking, so you're steps away from the stadium. And then when you get there, we're going to take you into the press room, the locker room. You're going to get to meet the players. Mahomes is going to sign a bunch of stuff for you. You're going to be able to take all that and put it on eBay later. And, and then the buffet. You should see the spread that's going to be laid out for you. You're going to eat all you can eat for the whole game. And then once you get all of that, then you come up to these cush seats and 
whatever the temperature is, you don't care because it's going to be perfect. You've got a great seat in the house. Josh, what's your attitude at this point? I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. That's, that, we, can take a, we can close the service down right there when you begin to think about it. But he's in, but then once he gets there, what's his attitude? Would he, ha- would he have any attitude? Would there be any entitlement? Would Josh for a moment go, I deserve this. I have earned this. I have been a fan for so long, through the good times and the bad times. No, he wouldn't walk up to the buffet and be like, this is it. No, he would have gratitude, gratitude. How many of us, as time goes on, we've accepted the invitation years ago. We have a level of entitlement thinking we've gotten to a place. I mean, we have to guard ourselves. We talked about it last week. Don't be a Pharisee. We talk about don't let Pharisees stop you. Don't be one yourself thinking somehow you've earned this for by grace you've been saved through faith it's not a work so that you can't boast about it there is no entitlement nate bargetsy has a whole bit on this in his new special if you've watched it he says you get invitations all the time you know in your 20s a friend calls and invites you somewhere and you're like yeah i'm going i'm down for whatever i don't even care where we're going i'll go we don't it doesn't matter to me but in your 30s a friend calls and gives you the invitation and you respond with where are we going how late are they open is it loud? I'm driving separate. In your 40s, the same friend calls and invites you somewhere, and you're like, I'm not going. No, I'm even mad you thought I would go. He doesn't go into the 50s, but I'll add the 50s there. People call and ask you to do something, and in your 50s, you're like, uh, no, you know you shouldn't have even called because Amy and I sit on the couch this time of night and send each other reels and memes. Don't ever call me again. <laughs> Isn't it something how we handle invitations and think that, that we're owed something? I've, I've been following this uh, family online from California, and I don't follow a lot of influencers, but somebody sent me this a couple months ago, and I am, I am fully hooked. It's the Salinger family. And maybe some of you follow Dan Salinger online, but Dan and Mark are two brothers caring for their 91-year-old father who has Alzheimer's. And they have filmed that whole journey. And it has been so encouraging to me. And I have, I just am so uh, endeared to Ed, the 91-year-old with dementia. He wakes up, and many of you have cared for a parent or a family member with dementia or Alzheimer's. And you know that right after a nap or when they wake up first thing in the morning is when they're the most disoriented and confused. And, and Ed comes in, and he's got several things he's always worried about. His keys to a car he no longer owns. And he'll ask him, he's like, well, where's my car? You sold it, Dad. I sold it? Everything's a shock to him, which I love. And the gratefulness that comes out of him, when they'll tell him something, he always responds with, what? Yeah, you don't drive anymore. Why don't I drive? The DMV took your driver's license. Why'd they take my driver's license? You ran a red light. That's not, you're not going to take somebody's license over one infraction. You ran it a lot. The same light multiple times. He's worried about his checkbook, his phone. He brings up often his brother, Bill, who passed away 15 years ago. And almost every day, he goes, I need to call Bill. And Mark, the 56-year-old son, it sounds like he's yelling, but Dad has loss of hearing, and, and so he's got to just scream at him almost all day. Dad, your brother Bill died 15 years ago. He did? And you see it all over him, like he's almost grieving again every day when he hears it. He wants to make sure all six of his children are eating. He's always worried about money. He'll pull out his wallet. 91-year-old, he'll pull out his wallet, and he'll be like, oh, wow, you ain't got no money. 
Like, Dad, you don't need money. I don't need money. No, you live in this house. I live in this house? Whose house is this? It's my house, Dad. Where do I? And every now and then, this is what I love. He'll come in. He wants to pay something. He just is overwhelmed by the fact that everything's being provided for him for nothing. He sat down a couple weeks ago, and he goes, I want to do something to help out around here. Mark, or er, uh, Dan goes, great, Dad, grab that vacuum. Just vacuum for us. And Ed looked back at it and goes, nah, I don't want to vacuum. <laughs> video after video after video. Gratefulness, gratefulness, gratefulness. It's something to watch. And I, I thought about it. I'm, so, I think sometimes we could maybe benefit from forgetfulness. We could, because after we've served the Lord for a while, we can develop that attitude like, this is my seat. This is my parking space. Whenever someone wants to start a conversation with me, you know I tithe at this church. There's never going to be a good conversation after that right there. Because what happens is we build up this entitlement. And you heard what Kerry Newhoff said years ago when he was at our church. He said, those of us who feel entitled to everything will be grateful for nothing. I'm looking around at young people in here today, and I just, to every child that's in here right now, living at home with your parents, I want you to go home today. I want you to walk into a house you don't pay for, in the clothes you didn't pay for, eating food you did not provide. I want you to walk into your home after today and and just look around and be like, what? This is amazing. Mom and dad, I am overwhelmed with your generosity for my daily needs. You'll pick your parents up off the floor. (laughs) But isn't that to be our attitude when it comes to the kingdom of heaven? It should be our only attitude. A.W. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And, And I just need you to know this. What you feel about yourself, it's not the most important thing about you. What you think about yourself, not the most important thing about you. What God says about you is far more important than what you feel about yourself. And by the way, that's all Christian counseling is going to do for you. Christian counseling is going to call out the lie that you believe about yourself and tell you this is actually what God says about you. And you have forgotten this. Dallas Willard adds to this our understanding. All human troubles come from thinking of God wrongly. And I'll add here, thinking of the kingdom wrongly, thinking about how God's economy works, how his family works, which then means thinking about ourselves wrongly. And this parable of the great banquet is here's what we understand. Here's why we have humility and gratitude as we move forward. When it comes to entering the kingdom of heaven and becoming a part of God's family, we bring nothing to the table. We simply accept the invitation. Like, but but what about my giving? What about my works? What about church attendance? All of that is an overflow. But it's not what is required to accept the invitation. And this, this, this now is the mindset of the Pharisees. Your positions, titles, looked at that last week in Matthew 23, education, morality, religion, church attendance, and good works will not earn you a seat at the table, period. Jesus paid it all and invites you to dine with him. And I can tell you, because I know Josh well enough, if he shows up on the 10th, to a suite. And if there's anybody here that has one and has an extra room, just go offer it to them. Let's see if this plays out. Josh is like, thank you, Dad. It's, they say it's the thought that counts. I can tell you, I know him well enough to know he would have just two words on his lips the entire time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because a person who feels entitled to something will never be grateful for anything. 
And the Pharisees were taking that position of honor. They were assuming, hey, we can't wait to have this meal in the kingdom. And Jesus says, you're, you're missing the whole point. Starting now in verse 18, the invitation goes out and look what starts. They all began to make excuses. You've invited people into a relationship with Jesus. You've shared your faith. You've shared the gospel and people make excuses. And these excuses thousands of years ago are no different than what we hear today. Dealing with our possessions, our money, relationships. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go see to it. Please excuse me. Can't take it. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen, which would imply wealth because in that day a family would need one or two. Uh, And I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Third excuse. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. People will always make excuses to this invitation. And so we see that increasing gratitude fuels us to invite others to dine with us. I don't know if you've been invited somewhere that just was extra special and like you, you were overwhelmed and like, I don't belong here, I don't deserve to be here, but then you start thinking of other people. Now, I like watching football, but if someone invited me to a box or to a suite at, at uh, Arrowhead, I'll be honest with you, my first thought would be Josh and and a couple other people in our church that I just know, I go, man, they, they got to hear about this. And I think sometimes we think, and we know the vast majority of Christians don't share their faith on a regular basis. And we think, well, it's because they're not equipped. They don't know what to say. And I get that's a, that's a, a good reason that people give. Uh, others would say, well, my faith is more private. It's not really something to be shared. But we know with the great commission, we're to go and tell all. This invitation goes out to all. And a lot of it is motivation. And a lot of it is the drift that we have toward entitlement when it comes to our salvation rather than the gratitude. And when I am grateful for what I've been given, I want other people to experience this. I want other people to come and dine. Luke 14, 21 through 24, as we wrap this up, the servant came back and reported to his master and the owner of the house became angry. And he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town And here's the callback. And bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Those who in covenant community would have been considered uh, unclean. So what you're going to see here are three groups in this parable. The the Jews in covenant community that think they've earned it. And Jesus is going to tell them, you have not. It's not how this works. Okay, so now go out and get those that they would go. They're not supposed to be in here. Go get them because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he does this. He goes out and he invites and brings in. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Meaning more invitations can be given. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes. And most scholars believe, now Jesus is talking about those Jews in covenant community, first group, second group, the the Jews that would be considered unclean. Now, guess what? Go to the Gentiles, those outside of covenant community community and compel them for theirs is the kingdom of heaven to come in so that my house will be full. Now this statement goes out to that first group. It goes out to that assumption we read at the beginning of the parable. Jesus says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Why? Because your titles mean nothing when it comes to the invitation. Your positions mean nothing when it comes to the invitation. Your bank account means nothing when it comes to the invitation your good works, your church attendance, the baptism that your parents uh, had performed when you were an infant, that is not how you accept the invitation. 
It is by faith and repentance that we enter the kingdom of heaven, that we accept the invitation. And that's our prayer for you today, that, that you would start by just saying, what have I been relying on? What have I been relying on? And, and if we just put it all in one category, many in here, it's just good works. I'm just a good, I'm trying to do the best I can. And I hope in the end it all shakes out. And that's not how it works at all. It works by accepting the invitation. So to start with the hymn, to end with the hymn that we started with, this is the invitation for you today. If you've never accepted Christ, if you've never accepted this invitation, here it is real simple. Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. And you may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude and turned water into wine to the hungry, that's you, calleth now. Come and dine. Would you pray with me? I'm going to ask the prayer team to step up to the front. And I know a lot wait for people to leave. And, but we get cards every week, people telling us of the decisions they made. And, and we're, we're praying here all across campus and online that many are accepting this invitation today. No longer relying on your good works, your attendance, your morality, your religion, a denomination, a church you grew up in, but that today you are relying on Jesus who paid it all and accepting his invitation to eternal life and to joining God's family and entering the kingdom of heaven. As I pray to close us out, I'm going to give you a moment to pray. Confess. Confess what you've been relying on for salvation. You know, I, we just live in a country where we eat too much, we drink too much, we spend too much, we entertain ourselves too much. Let this just be a moment where, where we understand we do exactly what Solomon tried to do in Ecclesiastes, filling us up, just fill us up with more food, more drink, more entertainment, more spending, just whatever it is to fill that void. And, and you've just been running, 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 and you're still empty. Come to the master's table. Come and dine where you're thirst will be quenched and you will be full because he is your true and only source of life. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now for the one who's never accepted the invitation to life in the kingdom, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would come forward. They'd meet with someone from the prayer team. They'd fill out a card and let us know of this decision so that we can connect with them and encourage them in their journey. I pray for our church that as we hear a message on salvation that we pause to be reminded and to be humble and to be grateful and to turn around and offer that hospitality to those who have not received the invitation. Oh, that today would be that day. Turn our hearts towards gratefulness. I pray for this church as we enter into the Christmas season and just all that you have blessed us with, um, that we would consider the blessings in our life, grateful for them, our desire to share them, and to encourage others to do the same. We pray all this in the authority of the name of Jesus, and everyone agreed and said, amen. Love you all. Hope you have a great week.